Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Radcast. This month we're joined by Dr. Salman Qureshi, who is a radiologist in Abu Dhabi and a prolific educator. If you've ever attended the Head and Neck section at a radiology conference, you will definitely have seen his name on the lineup. He's also, believe it or not, on an incredible weight loss journey, which he plans to document on social media. So this should make for quite a wide-ranging interview. So this is actually our third attempt at recording this pod. Um, it was originally meant to be our first video episode, um, but I think we were a bit overambitious with the setup, and so that ended up not working out. But who knows, maybe we'll have another go at that one day. And then we also tried to um, record when Simon was at RSNA a few weeks ago, but he wasn't able to fit us into his busy schedule. So um, <laughs> finally, here we are on a sleepy Sunday afternoon or evening in the Middle East. Um, and so we're sticking to our tried and tested audio only format. So it should be plain sailing. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us, Salman. Uh, can you no introduce yourself to the listeners? Of course. Well, firstly, thank you for the invitation. So I am Salman Qureshi, consultant, uh, head neck neuroradiologist, working at uh, Sheikh Shabuth Medical Center in Abu Dhabi, but based actually living in Dubai. So sort of a commute between the two cities, about it's about 100 kilometers apart, at least where I live in the hospital. Uh, originally, I'm from Manchester. I did my uh, medical school and training in Manchester, and uh, I moved to the Middle East uh, in 2018, so about five years ago now. Pretty hefty commute, 100 <laughs> kilometers each way every day. Uh, yes, correct. Um, it's not too bad because the Sheikh Zayed Road is, uh, as Jamie will be very familiar with the Sheikh Zayed Road, it's, it's <laughs> On the side that leads to the Abu Dhabi side, sorry to go into my new show here, <laughs> quite clear. So I have a clear commute uh, to work. And then also, uh, I, yeah, I have a workstation as well. That helps at some some points when it comes to the shift system. And you're also making the commute in a Bugatti, so that helps. No. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I have heard that they have Bugatti police cars here, but no, it's uh, <laughs> far from it, far from it. So what was it that drew you to head and neck as your subspecialty of choice? So um, I actually had an interest in it when I was uh, training to be a surgeon. So I would do my basic surgical training rotation and ENT was the sort of subspecialty or the specialty that I enjoyed the most. And I then, you know, further developed that with further senior house officer jobs at the time that that's what they were called in ENT. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of really enjoyed the head and neck side of things. I'd say I also enjoyed it even before then as well. Um, and I'm intrigued by the anatomy and everything like that. So I thought, um, let's just take this further. Now, the ENT surgery career did not work out. So I am a failed ENT surgeon. I did it for, I think I did my senior house officer jobs for nearly three years um, in that specialty, two and a half years. And then I, I saw the light of radiology and switched. But in terms of why, I, I think I, it's just I enjoyed being uh, an ENT trainee. And then I kind of took it on from mm. there. So that's probably why. Once you Once you find a little niche area in your clinical practice in before you start radiology you might think well actually that might that is of interest so I pursued it a little bit further when I became a radiologist yeah I think that's something that people find very hard about head and neck isn't it the anatomy so if you already have a background in that from doing ENT then it demystifies it so I can imagine it's um it then becomes more appealing um, yeah the, I mean yeah I, when I remember I think the British Institute of Radiology invited me to do like a careers day for the trainees and uh, I was doing the head and neck bit and I said there's only three things you need to know about head and neck first is anatomy the second is anatomy and the third is anatomy <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it literally is all anatomy and then once you know that then you, you're just naming places you're just naming where the tumor is um 
there's not much more to it than that. Um, there aren't many differentials in head and neck imaging, are there, compared to uh, to other um, parts of the body? Like it's all just SCC, basically. I mean, well, when it comes to the mucosal space, yes, that's yeah. reasonable. But there are other spaces as well. We could, we could get into that whole <laughs> oh, lecture. Well, if you want me to presentation on neck spaces, if you want me to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Is the only MSK radiologist in the room? I'm being squeezed out here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, you um, moved from the north, the northwest of England to the Middle East. Um, wh- when did you make the move? So in 2018, um, I moved from Manchester to Doha in Qatar. I was there for about four years. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the in- initial move. And then from Doha to Abu Dhabi in 2022. Yeah, how do you think mm. of it? Just sort of uh, towards the sort of end of COVID-ish uh, time. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, this 2018 was when I moved. So what, what prompted you to leave... Uh sunny Manchester for uh, for the Middle East? Well, a um, couple of things. Actually, one of them, you kind of highlighted the, the word sunny Manchester. I mean, weather is a big draw in the Middle East. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people will say, well, it's hot, too hot. And I I mean, I think it's, it is hot during the summer, but for the rest, like seven, eight months of the year, it's actually, I think, glorious weather. And that kind mm. of does, I don't know, it changes your mood somewhat, I think. <laughs> so, um, that's, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, it was the, the work-life balance as well. Um, I felt uh, I was able to have a better work-life balance uh, in the Middle East. I mean, the thing is, there's an element of the grass is always greener on the other side. So I always want to express that caution uh, about moving anywhere, actually, or, or changing careers anywhere, or even moving, say, within a country, even moving from a job in one part of the UK to another part of the UK. Uh, but I just felt that the work-life balance would be better. So, yeah, I was quite pleased in that respect. So then the, the move from Doha to Abu Dhabi, um, they they came looking for you, didn't they? Kind of, yeah. So at the time, yeah, I mean, essentially, yes. What happened was at the time, uh, the Mayo Clinic were involved in um, in a partnership with the hospital that I'm working at. And um, they were looking to develop services further. And there was like some doctors who had heard about me and they were quite keen for me to come across so yes they actually put the uh, the suggestion forward towards me and, and in terms of whether I want to consider this and I went and I sort of did a site visit and I thought yeah you know what this is actually quite interesting and um there was uh, you know there was um discussion about terms and conditions that was better and uh, I also thought you know in, t- in terms sounds like Ronaldo moving to Saudi <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it yes uh, no, I think yeah Ronaldo moving to Saudi I, that, that, that's a very interesting analogy um, yeah and also there's a sort of um, an element of uh, maybe a bit more responsibility in the management side of things as well so mm. I thought uh, yeah you know that's that so after I actually moved there was some changes that were in, 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 you know, instigated with reference to schedules, rotors, and how to get more cover for neuro and, and those sort of things. So um, I found, actually, yeah, I was part of this project and still am. And I'm very happy uh, in Abu Dhabi. And then, yeah, I kind of got very accustomed to the United Arab Emirates. I mean, may I ask a question, Jamie, what do you think of the United Arab Emirates? <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that I made the move out here and... Um... I agree with you that there's just, there's something nice about seeing blue sky every day. It does yes. just put you in a better mood. It, it uh, yes, it does. I have to be honest. Uh, so yeah, no, I totally agree with that. 
But mm. that commute, though, I'm not sure that I could handle the uh, 100 kilometers each way commute. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, it's not too bad. Uh, I, it only takes me about uh, 40, 50 minutes, about 50 minutes mm. uh, tops. Um, and because uh, literally I live off the motorway and the hospital is off the motorway. So it, it's just okay. very, very, very convenient. And the, between these, that, that part of the road is not too bad. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I got used to it now and uh, it's not too bad. So why why did you choose to live in Dubai knowing that you were working in Abu Dhabi? Was there yeah, a reason no. for that or was it just preference? So that's a great question. Um, you actually touched on it at the beginning when you introduced me. You talked about my uh, weight loss journey. That, so I've become sort of uh, passionate about fitness and I've really uh, motivated myself to actually work on my fitness and my sort of uh, a life transformation as such. And that has included the weight loss as you described earlier uh, and you mentioned about the fact that i'm looking to put this on social media now that hasn't happened just yet i'm still trying to gather data together videos together and, and, and everything put together um and my plan is to put it on social media now the thing is dubai blends itself i would say a little bit more towards the sort of the social media side of life mm. and um it's it's so i just thought it, it's almost like i came here for inspiration just to get ideas and i <laughs> It's worked quite well, actually, I have to say. I have had, like, you know, constantly I think, oh, that would be good uh, for mm. potentially a social media channel. So, I mean, I just want to be a little bit cautious because I haven't launched yet. Like, I, I delayed it recently for reasons which I'm sure we'll come on to later. So I'm always a bit cautious about, like, having ambitious projects and then them not taking <laughs> off the ground. Uh, but that, that's my intention, at least. And actually, I had zero regrets. I, I really, really uh, like it in Dubai. It's, it's a wonderful place would you not agree jamie <laughs> yeah no i completely agree yeah i'm uh very very happy happy living here um, yeah there's just so much going on yeah absolutely and uh it actually there's so much going on but also it's great for say people who are sort of uh single great for people who are families great for people of different ethnicities and religions and so it's actually uh, yeah i just find it a, a great place to be so you can't see yourself returning to the uk anytime soon <laughs> not unless I have to. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, I have to be honest. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I I, I go regularly, uh, see my family and everything like that. But I'm very happy with the work-life balance here. And I think um, unless things change drastically now, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm really happy here. But uh, but you know, obviously, I love the UK as well, and I visit there regularly. And unless I have to, no, I don't see a reason why I would go back. Mm. Interesting. Uh, and at this point, I have to ask my question to Jamie. What do you feel, Jamie? <laughs> this is a yeah, double no, I, <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, currently, currently I can't see myself going back there by choice. Exactly. Um, if, I, if, there were, if there were other reasons that, that would lead to it, then, yeah, I guess it would be a very, very difficult decision to make. And, but, yeah, if it, was, if it was down to me, then I, I wouldn't be wanting to move back anytime soon. Yeah, and, and that is 100% exactly how I feel, 100%. Um, so, yeah, no, I totally concur with that. Hmm. Just um, to get so, to join us here, you need, you need to come and join us. I'm trying, I'm trying. I, I, I'm, I am perfectly happy where I am. I've got a nice little setup on the docks. So, sure. uh, yeah, no envy here. Um, but I will be visiting Jamie in February. I was going to so say, just wait until you visited, then we'll, yeah. then we'll ask that question again. <laughs> Oh, okay. By the way, after this, you need to give me the date. I'll put it in the diary. We'll. we'll... Oh, nice. We could have a yeah, definitely get together. That's good. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a DIFCL. We'll, we'll we'll do something nice. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, <laughs> so um, 
you are, um, as we mentioned in the introduction, um, you're um, prolific on the head and neck conference circuit um, and um, teaching and presenting at these conferences takes you all around the world, which is pretty cool. Um, so how did you get into this space? Yeah, great question. And um, people do ask me this because I think they're quite interested into seeing how you can develop. Well, first things first, it does take a lot of effort and hard work. Um, it's a question of both having the skills to be able to educate and speak at meetings, moderate, but also being having the ability to, to network as well and having the time to do all of that. So there's a lot of different T's to cross, I's to dot. Uh, in terms of if I was to actually go backwards and say, where did it start? Um, it would have started at the BSHNI, British Society of Head and Neck Imaging, society very close to my heart, love the society. And they're a very wonderful, friendly society. £20 for lifetime membership, by the way. Sorry, I, I just... I know, absolutely bargain. Quick plug. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, quick plug in there. Uh, <laughs> lifetime. So anyway. Simon um... only gets a 25% cut. <laughs> there is actually on social media circulating on twitter a picture of somebody trying to bribe me to become a member dollars <laughs> trying to become a member saying take my money so anyway that's, that's <laughs> sorry forgive me i digress um so what was i saying uh what so um, i went to yeah, BS... yeah i went to a bshni meeting when i was i think i i think a third year registrar if my memory serves me right and um I I was there on my own, like I didn't know anybody there whatsoever. I turned up to the meeting, just attended the lectures and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, it's interesting. I was learning, but I was kind of keen to get involved as well. And on the end of the first day, so the meeting is always a Thursday, Friday, either at the end of June or the beginning of July, sort of around Wimbledon week. Um, and, and the Thursday, I remember as the lectures finished, people were heading out, but there was a sort of a core of people staying in the main lecture theater at the front. I was like, okay, what's going on here? I'm just curious. So I kind of went to the front and I asked uh, a gentleman um, as to uh, what's going on. And this gentleman was David Summers. He was the then treasurer uh, from Edinburgh. He was the then treasurer of BSHNI. And he's actually going to be uh, Congress president of the ESHNR meeting in 2025 when it's held in Edinburgh, by the way. So just something to bear in mm. mind. But anyway, uh, he, um, he, he was the treasurer and he was sort of helping with the organization. And I said, oh, what's going on? And he said, there's an AGL. I was like, oh, I'm interested. Is there any chance I can attend? And he looked at me and he said, yes, you can attend, but there's a, there's a little problem. I was like, oh, okay. He's probably going to say, I, you know, I don't meet a criteria or whatever. I'm a trainee or something. He's going to say something. And he goes, the problem is that if you attend, then there is a chance that the meeting will become court. And if the, if the meeting becomes court, then that means us going to the pub across the road is going to be delayed because we have to have a meeting. <laughs> I thought, yeah, this is my kind of society. <laughs> and then he said, of course, you can attend, no problems. So I uh, sat down, listened. They were doing all sorts of like business stuff. They're going through their accounts and all that sort of stuff you do in an AGM. And then there was actually a vacancy that became available for the trainee rep. And I think the trainee rep then was Darren Gibson. I can't remember. But anyway, whoever it was, was vacating the position and it was coming up again. I don't think they had anybody available for that at that time, at that moment. So if memory serves me right, uh, some, I think the president of the society then said, is there any, are there any trainees in the audience? And I was just sheepishly put my hand up and I said, I'm one. And I was the only one that put my hand up, I think. 
And they said, okay, you can be the trainee rep. Oh, by the way, what's your name? And I said, <laughs> just on the spot, they made me the trainee rep. I don't think they had many people. I was not competing with anybody. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So I took this on. So I became the trainee rep of BSHNI then. And, and from that point onwards, it's just, I got involved. If there was like something, if they needed a volunteer for something, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer for that. If they needed some help with some, I don't know, questions, whatever, you know, anything I would just volunteer at that time. And that's the thing about it. it it's like you, you, you help out, you, you have to put the graft in and then you start developing the networks uh, thereafter. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the key. There, there are sometimes people like kind of think, oh, I want to go straight into sort of giving talks, but you have to put in the background work to get to these positions in some way. So that's how it started. And then from there, I then got involved in the European Society of Head and Neck Radiology uh, Diploma with Professor Minerva Becker. She would uh, get me involved in writing questions. This is later after I become a consultant. Mm. I'm just telling you sort of, you know, how I went from BSH and I then to European Society. And then she liked the fact that I was doing this. And then she put my name forward to be on the executive committee for ESHNR. So, so do you see how sometimes one thing yeah. leads to another? That's yeah. how I would say it worked out. It's all about putting yourself out there in the first place, isn't it? Correct. I mean, some some people are not really into that. Some people are. I am. And I'm not unashamedly, you know, happy to say that. Now that that's something I enjoy. And, um, mm. you know, the more you, the more you put in, I mean, Professor Becker did that because she saw the effort that I was putting in to help with uh, the diploma and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it kind of reaps its benefits. So... How many conferences do you present at every year? Have you got a, a rough idea? <laughs> I, this is a, a running joke amongst some colleagues of mine. I remember, so uh, first things first, last BSH and I, London, June 2023, uh, I was having a debate uh, with uh, Steve Colley from Birmingham, and uh, the two of us were having a bit of a debate about a certain topic, is about uh, imaging in head and neck. And um, he put out a slide. He'd gone to my Twitter feed, and he put out a slide with the conferences I had been to that year, just the last year, <laughs> of a globe, uh, sorry, of a map, and we put the dots of where I'd been. So I think what it is, is that I'm in quite heavily involved with the American side of things as well. Okay. So as a result of that, there's the RSNA and the American Head and Neck, uh, American Society of Head and Neck Radiology. So I kind of, those are part of my diary because of the fact that I get invited to those. Then, of mm. course, and the, the European side, you have the Euro, both the European Society of Head and Neck Radiology and the European Congress of Radiology. So you've got those. And British Society of Head and Neck Imaging, I will always go to if, if I can, you know, as, as long as I can. Mm -hmm. So th there's that. And then now what's happened is, though, is that since I've been in the Middle East, I've found myself actually developing more connections on this side of the world, which is relatively new in my sphere. So, for example, the Middle East itself, okay, and... The Royal College of Radiologists a year or so ago did the RCR DHA meeting, Dubai mm. Health Authority, and it was very successful. And they're organizing it again on the 19th and 21st of April. Another quick plug. Okay. <laughs> so I'm on the scientific committee for that. So we're trying to get a program uh, sorted out for that. So please, you know, seriously consider joining that. I'm sure you'll be there, Jamie. I will. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, so that's great. And so now I've been suddenly involved in the Middle East side of things. And then there's also sort of the Asian Pacific side as well. I mean, getting slightly more involved in that, including hmm. when I say Pacific, the Australian side as well. So I spoke at the last ANZSNR. So as you can see, I think what's happened is since I've moved to the Middle East, I've had more opportunities on a different part of the world that I was 
not necessarily you know involved in beforehand. So right. yeah, that's uh, that, that's a, that's the sort of sp- the spread uh, of meetings. Do you ever say no to an opportunity to speak at a conference? Rarely, an international conference very rarely i did have to say no to asnr last year it was just too much um, <laughs> so it was uh, so i was in chicago uh right i i just couldn't do that so it's very rarely though very rarely and do you enjoy the process of like producing all of the talks um um and, yeah delivering the content very much so absolutely i mean if you don't enjoy it why do it i mean what what, yeah. what what benefit is there to do it if you don't enjoy it? I, I absolutely enjoy it. Profile. Yeah, um, uh, true. But ultimately, you have to have a passion for it. So absolutely mm. enjoy it. Um, I, I, I would not in any capacity at all say I'm an expert because I think there are far more qualified experts in head and neck radiology than me. Um, but, you know, I feel that sometimes... Even say, for example, if you're doing a refresher lecture, it's a question of how you present it and how you put it together uh, and in terms of the cases that you can you can draw together. So, yeah, I, I passionately enjoy it. And sometimes nowadays I'm involved in some um, meetings which have workshops. So, for example, uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Erasmus uh, in Europe. Mm, yeah. They have the workshop set up for the different specialities. You know, I've been involved in Erasmus and the ESHNR recently held a masterclass in Leiden in the Netherlands. And so that workshop setup also that where you have small groups. I also really like that. So you've got workshops, you've got lectures, you've got moderating, you've got all these different things. I, I really enjoy it a, a lot. Wow. I just hope that, the, you know, my lectures are decent quality. That, that's the only thing you're always worried about is like, are you delivering a good lecture that some that people appreciate? It's, it's, they keep inviting yeah. you back though. So you must be doing something right. <laughs> Number one. And also we, we do get feedback as well, usually. Yeah. Yeah, so, I saw your um, your talk at RSNA uh, uh, two years ago, and it was very very slick. Oh, um, thank so, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yes, yeah. I remember you being there. Yeah, that's yeah. very kind of you to say. Thank you so much. That's very. Cool. I'll definitely be attending the head and neck section in uh, in April at the RCR Global Congress. I have to I have to see you in action. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'll be there, and I'm sure we'll be many colleagues. And yeah, it'll be a great program. Hopefully, for the RCR DHA meeting. What is your favorite conference on the calendar? Yeah, so, I mean, I love BSHNI. Uh, absolutely. It's like, because that's the first one I really properly went to. So BSHNI, very close to my heart. But also, I have to say, ESHNI, European Society of Head and Neck Radiology. I'm on their executive committee involved in the process. The Malta meeting just a few weeks, well, October, I should say, was a great, great meeting. It really was because mm. in that meeting, for example, we drew together and did these combined sessions with the American Society of Head and Neck Radiology. And it was went really well. Great educational content. It was a great meeting, great weather, you know, perfect. So that, I would say, you know, those are the main ones. But also, you know, there's too many to choose from. They're all great. They're all great. American Society of Head and Neck Radiology are, you know, all great meetings. But I would say, the, I suppose the first one was the BSHNI. So I have a soft spot for that. I've never been to ESHNR, um, but my the person I share an office with, um, she's also a head and neck radiologist, and she went to Malta this year and said it was really good. Um, and when I told her we were interviewing you, she remembered you. She was like, "He's a guy who was always so cheerful in every situation, <laughs> like, <laughs> always energetic so, and happy." Yeah. Again, that is so kind of you to say, but you said that you haven't been to ESHNR, so you need to come to again another yeah, plug. Yeah, another yeah, plug. Yeah. September twelfth to fourteenth next year, right. Malmo, Sweden. That's a good, yeah. 
Uh, oh, Sweden, nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be very cool. Yeah, um, I just need to actually uh, do something that's worthy of presenting. There's, I don't, I don't feel like I can't justify going. Where I don't have anything to present, so that's a incentive. I, I yeah. do have a few ideas that yeah. I need to uh, actually pull my finger out and actually yeah do. So hopefully, I'll be presenting yeah. them next year. That would be fantastic. It would be great to see you there. But I presume when you were both planning to interview, you didn't think I was going to get lots of plugs in. <laughs> so uh, yeah, 14th uh, September, Malmo, and then 2025 will be Edinburgh, ESHR. I'll stop there. <laughs> so, so you're attending all these conferences in person. Um, how do you handle such a demanding travel schedule? Yeah, that's a great question. I've accumulated a lot of miles. So let's, uh, mm, <laughs> let's put nice. it that way. I've a lot of miles. That helps. Um, so what I tend to do is uh, a lot of my travel, I try to see if I can incorporate me, uh, visit to the UK, for example. So I'll, if recently just went to RSNA and on the way back, I went to the UK and stopped off in the UK and spent time with family and then had to go to the ESHNR masterclass in, in Leiden. So I sort of went via Amsterdam and then came back to Dubai. So it was like a triangular trip. Of, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, back again. So in answer to your question, what I try to do is I, I try to kill bird, many birds with one stone, uh, like I did there. Uh, it saved having to make multiple different trips. I didn't have yeah. to make a different trip to the USA. I didn't have to make a different trip to the masterclass. And I didn't have to make a different trip to meet my family in the UK. So as a result of that, that's how I kind of tend to manage it. I'll, it takes a bit of planning. I'm, I must be Skyscanner's favorite uh, user. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to work work out all these routes, and then I do actually because of the miles, particularly on say Etihad or these uh, other Avios, I'm able to try and just juggle things around a little bit with respect to that. Nice. Do you, do you find that the uh, the travelling competes with the day job, or is there kind of an agreement with the department that this is part of your your life? So there's a couple of elements, and people assume that I must take loads and loads and loads of time off. Well. First things first, I do use quite a bit of annual leave for these meetings. So I, I, okay. I have to, I usually, I manage to get the, the study leave. There's a bit of study leave available and there's a thing, you know, there's, there's these sort of leaves that you can get, but actually the majority of it tends to be annual leave. So what I tend to do is if say, for example, if I'm moderating or lecturing, then that day itself, that one day, for example, I'll try and claim for some study leave or something equivalent to that. But the rest of it will pretty much be annual leave. On top of that, because I do Saturday shifts, on a regular basis, um, pretty much a one and two, I accumulate some days in lieu with that. So that therefore, as a result of that, I'm able to use those days that I accumulate for working the Saturday uh, shifts. Okay. So that's why I have a degree of flexibility. So the cover, the, co- the cover provided uh, is fine, but because I'm using a significant amount of my annual leave for these trips, so, so take that, for example, that RSNA UK trip, there was quite a bit of annual leave stuck in the middle of that because I was going to the UK and then, and then came back. So that's how I manage it, by trying to juggle my annual leave into it as well. How about the new fitness regime? Is that difficult to keep up on the road? Very. So it's very difficult to keep up on the road, absolutely. And it's astonishing how I am actually very disciplined when I'm home. And I mean, really ultra disciplined in terms of my nutrition, in terms of my fitness goals. And I am very rarely go off course, very rarely. But it's almost like I know I'm starting my travel and it's like, okay, it's a write-off. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, a write-off. Yeah, exactly. so this was, yeah. It's a, this was two weeks and I've got a few kilos and um, I'm kind of not 
square zero, of course not. But you know, I'm now like trying to recoup from those uh, th- th- those issues. Saying that though, saying that I do try my best when I'm out there to do some stuff towards the fitness. So if I'm in a hotel with a gym, I'll try and see if I can find a bit of time to go to that gym. And even though I've got a very set routine when I'm in Dubai about my sort of, uh, I'll say it, push-pull legs. Okay, there you go. There's a term there. Gym rats will understand what I mean. Uh, I might not be able to do that exact routine when I go overseas, but I can at least do something if there's a, a decent machine there of some capacity. So I try to keep a little bit of semblance, but it's it's usually the big thing is the nutrition just goes to pot. The, the, the nutrition mm. goes to pot. So it's the sponsored I, dinners, I, isn't it? The, the, the free wrap dinners. Out <laughs> <laughs> of calorie count. Yes. Uh, they're getting fewer and far between actually nowadays. But anyway, um, it's just a question of trying to maintain some degree of discipline when you're out there, but also taking the loss, taking the L. Uh, knowing mm. that. Mm. You just have to accept it and then come back and then just try and get back into routine as soon as you can. That's the, the thing. Right. So can you um, tell us a bit more about this? Um, I'm, I'm going to call it body transformation journey. You're probably going to say that makes it sound too grand, but like the, the new fitness regime you're on um, yeah. and that you're keen to um, share with people. Yeah. So I have gone through this sort of uh, intense fitness regime and I'll, I'll give you the numbers. I've lost, I, at one point I lost 43 kilograms. Oh. Uh, over, a, a, I would say, a four-year period. And that's an important point. You notice I said four years. I didn't say, like, six months. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, I think that's an important point to make because it was a slow progress. It wasn't rapid. Um, it kind of started, I mean, prior to COVID, I'd say for a decade or so, I'd be like, yeah, I'm on a diet, and yeah, I'm going to try and do a bit of fitness. But it was never, like, regimented. And then during COVID... I found that the only thing I could start really do was the gyms were closed and everything like that. The only thing I could do was walking. And it was then that I really understood and discovered walking. And I was like, okay, this is really good. It's, I mean, walking is amazing. And I, Mm. so what it was, I was at the time I was living sort of in a hospital compound in Doha whilst COVID. And I was, I was able to walk around the compound. We were allowed to do that. And it was like a kilometer to walk around. And I was like, this is quite, not very difficult. It's not very taxing. Mm. And so I did it again. And then I did it again. And I realized, actually, you know what? If I just keep doing this regularly, then maybe it might help my fitness journey. And that proved you to be sound like Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Just, <laughs> that's a good analogy. Just walking. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did the running, didn't you? No, I don't enjoy running. <laughs> okay. And, um, so, right. and, and that is an interesting point because I find running quite exertional and I don't enjoy it. But I was finding that actually I was enjoying walking. Of course, if the weather's nice, it helps. I understand that. And mm. you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to music and blah, blah, blah. So it was all great. So I then kept just doing more and more and more walking. And then what I realized is actually this is really helping with my fat loss. Concurrently, then when the gyms opened, I started doing some resistance because that's important for weight loss, I believe. And then I started to deal a little bit with nutrition as well. And now my nutrition at this moment of time on the 80 to 90% of occasions is very good and very disciplined. Obviously, there'll right. be about 10% where it's not great. But my biggest problem with nutrition is I am a sugar addict. Um, mm. I, I just really struggle with giving up sugar. But uh, that's just one of those weaknesses that I have. And it was when I tried to tackle that, that things got better. Uh, I still don't have a perfect solution. Uh, but it is like you just have to just say, right, 
you know, stop sugar now. And mm. then you kind of after a few days, you kind of do wean off it. That's the one difficulty, major difficulty I have. I can, I can walk forever. I, can, I love walking. I can, I can, you know, go to the gym. I love going to the gym. But giving up my sugar is a thing. I diet, yeah. Mm. Diet and particularly giving up sugar. That's the one thing that right. I really struggle with. So anyway, in answer to your question, the body transformation started probably around COVID. And then I just carried on. And now actually I, I do it to a very, very extreme level. To a level that I would say is a bit sort of almost obsessive. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's not necessarily a good thing. And I... No, absolutely not. Yeah. Anything in uh, moderation, yeah. Anything in moderation, true. But at the moment, I love it so much. I get my dopamine kick from it. And, you know, in midlife crisis, there's many worse dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> but, so this one is, is perfectly good. And I'm happy to be obsessed by it. So it's it's one thing committing to doing all of that, but then the added complexity of documenting it that it really it really does make it more challenging. So so how have you found filming yourself? Like it's I find it strange listening to my own voice on the podcast, let alone like watching myself. Oh yeah, good point. Uh, maybe I haven't thought that through. <laughs> so as I say, I'm, I'm trying to get some material together, and there's going to be different aspects to this journey. Now I've got kind of got these sort of very vague scribble scripts in my head about kind of the way I want to approach it. And I think what I want to do is uh, just show how I achieved it. And I'm mm. going to put a, like a big major disclaimer saying, look, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the best way. I'm sure other experts who can sort of do EMG studies on various muscle groups can say, well, this uh, resistance <laughs> is better than the other one. I'm not able to do that even despite being radios. Um, but, uh, but what I can say is, look, okay, here's some tips on how I managed to do it. And mm. I tend to find actually when it comes to fitness, you don't need to over-science it. It's actually, you just need to move your body. And Joe Rogan said that quite famously in a, in a famous clip. Uh, if, you, if you type Joe Rogan, move your body into YouTube, it's a great clip oh, actually, about that. And if you, if you do that, and he's right. If you just find a way to, to move your body and just, do some resistance against, uh, you know, with weight training that actually you find it works. So, mm. so is this content going to be primarily just a series of vlogs? Um, you filming yourself doing uh, on your long walks, maybe um, talking into the camera, um, maybe some motivational words, David Goggins style. Yeah. So I say I'm going to look at fit my in terms of the fitness journey itself. I'm going to sort of go through the different aspects like for example nutrition and resistance and low low uh, level cardio uh, steady state cardio i'm kind of going to go mm. through those things there is a lot of material out there already i'm just going to add to that so i'm going to sort of hopefully enhance that and show my own journey the thing about these sort of social media journeys is you never know you know of what level of interest there may be there's a lot of as i say material already out there my aim is to say well okay this is how i did it so that's so yeah, I will kind of just to show the different aspects of that. But I'm actually looking at mm. other aspects to the social media presence as well. Maybe showcase a little bit about Dubai. Maybe even dare I say talk a bit about imaging. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, wow. Yes, you know that you know the, that sounds like why not in the sea of any interest to people. And so I've got some ideas. And I'm trying to. Yeah. Into- yeah, you could probably. I don't know if you could do like you could borrow your department's MRI scanner and maybe periodically scan yourself and show your fat percentage <laughs> reducing uh, or something like that. Well, I, so I have... Dexter actually, results as well. Yeah, so yeah I have, exactly. 
I have been doing some of these sort of analyses and stuff like that, so I have got some data on that as well. But I'm being tight lipped. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, you've done Do you know of any other medics that have done anything um, similar to this? So that's interesting. It's a great question. And so the reason why it's a great question is I, I not obviously, but I want to be cautious about saying that they're not out there because they may be, but they just haven't come across my way. So why am I even thinking about the social media journey if I decide to actually do it? Well, the reason is there's a lot of fitness influencers out there who um, talk about this. Now, there are also, I would say, a whole bunch of people in the medical fraternity who talk about how to lose weight, but they ne- haven't necessarily gone through the journey themselves, okay? Mm. Then you also have a lot of people who have gone through body transformations, and you'll see plenty on social media, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, of people who were, say, obese before, and they're no longer obese, and they'll show their transformation over a period of time. So that's also not new, okay? So you've got the two mm. different things. But I haven't seen too many medics themselves who have gone through a transformation themselves maybe they exist and maybe i just haven't come across them so Mm. that's where i kind of see my niche being able Mm. to maybe utilize my medical knowledge to a certain extent um with actually having gone through the transformation uh and i'm hoping that that might be of appeal that might appeal to some people i don't know well time will tell but that's that's the thing that's kind of combining those two elements because individually both of them exist on youtube but the combination of the two elements I haven't seen much of yet. What's the ultimate goal of this? It's to, it really is very much to inspire. Um, because I, the reason that is because I've gone through it myself. I think anybody can do it. And in fact, if if you have a mindset that it's a long-term thing rather than a short-term thing, rather than a quick fix, if you have that mindset that actually, I really believe anybody could do it who wants to try it. It, it just takes time. That's all. Mm. See if other people could be inspired by seeing pictures of me before and pictures of me now and Mm. saying, well, look, this is how I did it and and you can do it. I will admit that towards the end of the journey, yes, I went to the extreme fitness side of things to get to the right extreme, but the bulk, the vast bulk of the weight loss was by simple modifications to lifestyle. And Mm. I think one of the perceptions is, that to try to achieve fitness goals or try to achieve lifestyle transformation goals, that it needs to be painful. That That's an understanding that you have to have uh, uh, roast chicken and broccoli and that <laughs> you run every day. And actually, I, I'm here to say, well, no, that's not necessarily the case. You can actually, but neither is it the other extreme where people can have uh, fried chicken and pizza mm. and not expect to move their body. It's, it's what I'm trying to say is that, that yes, you have to put effort in, of course. I've not got a you know, magic cure for that. You, you have to put the effort in. But at the same time, uh, there are ways actually that you can change your lifestyle a little bit to help with the journey. It's not all been plain sailing, though, as recently you sustained an injury in the gym. Yeah, I did. Uh, July the 25th, I even know the date. I think it was July the 25th. <laughs> Horrible July day. 23, yeah. What happened was... I, yeah, I overdid it. I was in the gym doing lateral pull down, 75 kilograms. Again, for gym rats, they'll understand that. Uh, and just like I'm clicking my fingers, just like that, something went. And oh my word, just immediate pain, left arm, just really excruciating pain. C5-6, right side. Uh, I was just 
a really, really, really painful. I ended up, I, I don't know, for some reason, I thought, let me just sleep on it overnight. I don't know why I did that, but I did anyway. Mm. And the following day, I kind of thought, this is just too painful. It was so bad, the pain. So then I went to my own hospital, actually, and then they MRI'd me and, yes, showed the disc uh, herniation. And they then went ahead, did a, the local acidic steroid injection, which really helped, actually. Um, and I was able to get back to work within actually about three days uh, after that because that was on a Thursday. I think I ended up doing the Sunday shift. So I was able to get back to work within three days because uh, the steroid then kicked in at that point. And then I was being followed up in neurosurgery clinic and spinal clinic. And the, you know, they observed me. And then after a few weeks, the decision was made that maybe I should go for a procedure because the reason, so the reason why we, uh, there was two options, conservative management or having an anterior cervical discectomy infusion. Wow. Those were the two options. And it's funny because as us, as radiologists, we'll see, playing films about that or we'll see CTs or everything. And you never think that you're going to be one day having that. Yeah. Yourself. Okay, that's, that's one of those things. And we under that and the surgeon uh, who was based, uh, I was uh, being uh, observed at the Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi, uh, Nader Habela, he is a surgeon. And he said, well, look, you know, the thing is that these tend to have good results. And the aim of the surgery is to try to get you back to the level that you want to get to in terms of your fitness goals. Cause clearly, you know, that's important to you. And I was like, yes, it is mm. very important to me. And, you know, we went through it. And of course, there's risks with surgery. Of course, there's, this is spinal surgery. Um, but I was reassured. Um, and uh, we so we went ahead with the surgery. We had the uh, anterior cervical discectomy infusion on the 1st of September. So this is about five, six weeks after the actual initial injury. And yeah, no, it was it was, it was great. The, the, I don't have pain anymore. Um, mm. the, I still have a little bit of numbness in my thumb. And I still have a bit of a weakness as well. Uh, just now, I've come back from the gym doing a pull day. And uh, my lateral pull downs are now 55 kilograms, not 75 kilograms. And I'm right. struggling to progress. No, 65 kilograms, actually. But it's slow progress. I shouldn't really um, I shouldn't really complain. You know, I had a serious injury. But yeah. And, and the problem is that it's still a little bit weak on the left side, a little bit weak, but I'm getting there. I'm just working at it. I can't, the thing that depresses me, I was able to do pull-ups very easily. I can't do pull-ups anymore, you know, but it could be a lot worse. Yeah. You've you got to take it easy. You don't want to overexert yourself and True. pop a, an, another disc. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because the other thing is I started taking up calisthenics as well, doing all these fancy moves with the bars and stuff. And I went to the gravity gym in, uh, and I, I signed up for like, 10 sessions or something like that and i could only get to the i think i only did four and i had to stop because of the uh, injury but i was really enjoying it i got a really real buzz out of calisthenics and doing all mm. these fancy things trying to achieve things like muscle ups and stuff like that i hadn't got there but now i'm, I'm like way behind like i just mm. it's just really difficult but that's just the way life is well i'm sure it's all good content for the uh yeah. social media yeah, so the, 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 the good point you raised there because, you know, it's, it's not all plain sailing. You will yeah. have challenges in your journey. Also, it may be an element of showing how actually I was overexerting myself and pushing too mm. much and resulted in a spinal injury. So the, there's that lesson to be learned as well, maybe. You know, I think the thing about a fitness journey is you have to take the rough with the smooth. And if there is a bit of rough, you need to try and tell people that this is what happened and, and see, where it, uh, see where it takes them. 
So um, obviously, being a being a doctor who's used to looking at, at imaging of the, this part of the body in particular, and kind of having an understanding of the the condition and the the, the potential problems, etc. Um, how did it make you feel then being on the other side, so being a patient in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I didn't really think of it too much, though. That's the, if the truth be told. I kind of just went into it, and I just followed the doctor's advice. I just followed the surgeon's advice. Mm. Um, so I don't think I dwelled on it too much, is is my honest uh, answer to that question. Mm. Um, I, you Obviously, you're concerned about the risks, but when you're in good hands and a good center, then you're reasonably confident that should be minimized. So that's one thing. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, obviously you have the knowledge of disc spaces and the herniation and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I don't think, I, yeah, I just don't think I, I thought about it too much. It's always, you're always more nervous when you, when you know that the patient is a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 uh, the surgeon was great though. I mean, uh, he's uh, quite forthright in his opinions in the clinic. So he, I think he was like, don't worry, we'll, we'll sort mm. of that was yeah that was, that was fine i would say well um that's great it's great to hear that you are um recovering um yeah and um i think um yeah that's that's basically everything we wanted to cover so um thanks for um a really great chat um we've definitely covered um topics that we wouldn't normally cover on radcast so we'll see how this one goes down but yeah it's, it's always good to mix things up from time to time so yeah thank you and thank you for sharing your personal um a lot of like your own personal experiences and we will be looking out for when you start putting the content out about your body transformation and we'll be keeping a keen eye out on that hopefully it's successful thank yeah, maybe you if we interview you again then you'll be wanting to plug huel instead of uh, conference <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting thought process um, uh, no i mean let's hope it and let's hope i do actually get to do this because i think it could be interesting and if it does you know thank you for your kind comments uh, thank you for this opportunity as well. And um, when you come in February, just give us the dates, and I'll we'll we'll go somewhere nice. We'll maybe Show me a good time. We oh. can go to the biohacking clinic. Oh yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Uh, <laughs> well, I was thinking more like Amazonica and DIFC. <laughs> <laughs> both both sound uh, sound great to me. So yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, biohacking in the morning and then Amazonica in the afternoon. Great yeah. <laughs> right evening, I'd say. Evening. <laughs> Great. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next month with another episode. And in the meantime, you can catch all of our previous episodes on the usual podcast platforms and at anchor.fm forward slash Radcast. And for more updates, check out our social media channels. So that's Radcast Academy on Twitter and Instagram. Bye. Goodbye.